0: Good morning, good morning. Um, That video for me is on top of my playlist. And I think it will be there until the Lord returns. It's great to be here this morning. And uh, we're gathered together this morning, not to listen to my playlist, but God's playlist. And uh, as uh, you might know, or maybe you're here for the first time, thank you for being here. Or maybe watching online for the first time. We're going through the book of the Psalms. And uh, what what, uh, great time we're spending Uh, listening to God's playlist and being challenged by God to know how to respond in time of need and as we look at the Psalms we know that God's desire through the Psalms with his people was for his people to be uplifted to be encouraged to receive hope but most importantly that his people could trust in his promises that God as we sang this morning that God is faithful to his promises. And God's desire this morning as well, as we go to Psalm chapter three is the same goal, the same objective. God's desire is for us to be uplifted this morning. It's to be uh, uplifted with the goal of allowing God to help us understand that he is always faithful and he will always be faithful. So if you know God personally, if you have come to that relationship, that intimate relationship with God, please know that God desires to speak to your heart this morning. But maybe you don't have that relationship with God, that real intimate relationship with God. Please listen to his voice this morning. Allow him to speak to you. Now, as we look at the book of Psalms, we know that 70% of the, the Psalms... Of uh, that we find in the book of Psalms, uh, these poems or songs are songs of lament. Now, the psalm of laments begin normally with suffering, but all of them end with glory. And so, the question I begin to ask every one of you this morning is the question I ask myself: How are you dealing today with your crisis? Or how have you dealt with your crisis in the past? Are you ready to deal with the crisis that will come in the future? As Alex invites us this morning through that video to set our eyes on God, David, King David, does exactly the same thing. You see, David wrote this psalm that we find here in the book of Psalms. But he wrote it during the most difficult time of his life. King David was a man who was used by God greatly, but a man that made wrong decisions. And because of those wrong decisions, he paid a high consequence. You see, in the context of this psalm, Psalm 3, by the way, which is the first psalm of lament that we find in the book of Psalms, uh, we find traumatic and humiliating events that hit King David when his son Absalom led a revolt against him. David had reigned for decades as one of the most powerful monarchs in the world. His military prowess was legendary. He became fabulously wealthy. But then David sinned. He sinned with Bathsheba and ordered the death of her her husband Uriah. Although David repented when the prophet Nathan confronted him, David's sins set in motion a series of devastating consequences. David's oldest son, Amnon, raped his half-sister, Tamar. Tamar's brother, Absalom, because he saw his dad not do anything about what had occurred, took revenge by murdering Amnon. Absalom fled into exile for several years, but later was permitted to return. But after his return, David refused to see his wayward son for two years. The resentment and the bitterness built in Absalom's heart Began to move Absalom to make wrong decisions. And so he tried to connect with disgruntled people in the kingdom. And Absalom pieced together a strong conspiracy. David realized that the only way he was going to survive was to flee from the city of Jerusalem. And so he took the few supporters that were left, their families, his servants, and they grabbed what they could and took off towards the wilderness. David followed them. And it's interesting that we find the events of what happened in 2 Samuel chapters 15 and 16. And David followed these people weeping and walking barefoot with his head covered in shame. David was going through the worst scenario in his life. Not only because thousands of people uh, were beginning to pursue him or persecute him, but mostly because of a son that desired to dethrone him. And ruin the plan of God. But David this morning, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, desires to invite us. He desires to invite us to be able to practice important steps in our lives that will allow us to confront our crisis with confidence. You see, all of us go through storms. As I've said in the past, either a storm is about to begin in your life. You are in a storm presently or you're leaving a storm behind, but all of us confront storms. That is why the most important question I have to ask myself is, how how will I stand in the middle of my storm? David's invitation begins in verses one and two. If you have your Bibles, go to Psalm chapter three, and we'll read these first two verses together. It says, "O oh Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God." Selah. David begins this psalm of lament talking about his issues, and what he invites us to do is to complain to God and nobody else. You see, David found himself in a whole lot of trouble. Much because of his own doing, but other circumstances were brought before him because of decisions of others. Now, I know many of us ask the question, why do bad things happen? Now, God has used Pastor Ryan to teach us through chapter 1 and chapter 2 of Psalms. and, And we talked about the fact that because of sin, bad things occur. The moment adam and eve decided to disobey god sin came into the world and sadly has passed on from generation to generation and that's why chapter one of, of the book of psalms speaks about the importance of making the right decision of taking the path of the wise and not the foolish and in chapter two we learn about uh, truly the consequences of bad decisions of what sin does now Bad things occur because of my own sin, because of my own decisions. But also, bad things occur because of decisions of others. Many of you in this room have had to go through dark times in your lives. Things happened to you, storms that came about, not because of something you did or because you deserved it, but because of decisions of others. We live in a fallen world. And because we live in a fallen world, bad things will occur. But I love the Psalms because the hopes the Psalms bring is that God one day will restore and create everything new. And God is the only one that has the solution. So David teaches us the fact that we need to complain to God and nobody else. I love it here because David begins in verse 1 and says, "O oh Lord. The word in Hebrew there of Lord is Yahweh. This speaks of God's personal name, his covenant name. In Exodus chapter 3, when God calls Moses to go out and be the leader of the nation of Israel and and be part of their salvation, their redemption, Moses asks God and he says, God, in whose name shall, shall I tell them that I'm coming? And God responds and he says, tell them Yahweh has sent you. I love one scholar speaking about this passage in Psalm chapter 3 and the way David responds or speaks to God. He says, for David to address God as Yahweh had the same connotation as New Testament believers addressing him as Abba Father. It was an intimate personal cry for help. And church, one of the things we learned through the life of David that we understand that David had many talents. David could do many things, but one of the the, the the most important things he knew how to do was to cry to God. He knew how to complain to God, and he would cry out to Him, knowing that God was listening to his cry. David says in Psalm chapter one forty three, verse one: "O Yahweh, hear my prayer; listen to my cry for mercy. In Your faithfulness and righteousness, come to my relief." David knew that his servants or His family members were not going to provide the solution that his soul needed. He understood that the only one that could provide what he needed was God. That's why he complained to him. I remember about 15 years ago, leading the World Life Ministries in Honduras, we had about 30 missionaries on staff. And once you start working with so many people, uh, problems arise. Grumbling arises. Complaining arises. And so a lot of these complaints never came to me. Right, they were taken and shared with other people. So one day I showed up to our staff meeting and I showed up with the book. And on that book, the title was The Book of Complaints and Suggestions. And so I said, listen, if you have a complaint or you're not in agreement with the decision that is made, I provide you this book. Maybe you don't want to come to me personally, but you can write that complaint in this book. And I promise you, I will look at that book, read it, and provide solutions accordingly. Well, about three weeks passed and all of a sudden I heard grumbling and complaining from some of our staff members. Sadly, it had contaminated our staff, but also some of the churches that we had been serving with. And so when I heard about the complaints, I went straight to that book to see if some, somebody had written about those complaints. And when I opened the book, nothing was written. There was nothing in there. You see, when we think about a relationship with God, we do the same thing. God invites us to complain to him, nobody else. Now, I understand that family or friends are important in time of need, in, in time of our crisis or our storms. They're helpful in many ways, but they will never provide the solution that your soul needs. That's why David invites us to complain to God. And I love the Bible, I love scripture, because through the Bible, we understand that many people complain to God. Job, for example, lost everything in one day, everything. The only thing God left him was his wife. Ah, reading chapter 1, I have no idea why he left his wife. He should have left his dog, I say sometimes, right? But Job, in chapter 30, complains to God. And it's interesting that Job, as he's crying out to God, he's saying, God, why, until when, when is this going to pass? I I can't, I can't suffer in this way. God listened to his complaint for seven chapters in the book of Job 7. And then in chapter 38, God responds and he asked Job this question. He said, where were you when the foundations of the earth were laid? Where were you, Job, when the constellation of the, of the stars were created? Where were you when the galaxies were made? Job, where were you when I divided the water and the land? Tell me, God told Job, if you have understanding. And a few chapters later, Job responds to God and he says, God, I stand before your presence in silence because I have no authority to talk to you. You see... In the life of Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, we find a man who for over 40 years was faithful in sharing God's message to his people and his people did not believe. Nobody believed. And this man suffered, his own family plotted against him. They wanted to get rid of him. And so in chapter 12, Jeremiah goes to the Lord and he says, how much longer, God, will the grass be dry and dead? How much longer? And God responds in verse 15, and he says, After I pluck them out, I will again have compassion on them. Wow. God says, I am a God of compassion. I don't understand people that say that after reading the Old Testament, the only thing they find is an angry God, a God of wrath and violence. When I read the Old Testament, what I find is a God of compassion. A God that desires to shed his goodness and his mercy upon people. What we find is a God who cares. And David knew this. In verse 2 he says, God, you know that people are saying that there's no salvation for me. People that were saying this to David probably did not believe God could not save David from this pain. But that he was unwilling to do so. All these people that were against David could not see that God was at work, even though it did not look like it. That's why David could say in Psalm chapter 26, verse 1, by the way, another psalm that David wrote during this time of crisis. He wrote, vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity and I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. David understood that through his complaint to God, God would listen and he would respond. God was active. In church this morning, God is telling us the same exact thing. And even though you don't realize it, God is active. That's why any complaint, take it to him. Take it to him. I love what Peter states in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And please, this morning, I implore you not to believe the lie that God does not care about your storm. Don't believe the lie that tells you in your mind, in your heart, that God has forgotten about you. No, the word of God, God's playlist, explains with clarity that his desire is to show his compassion to you. Because he's a God that cares. But the second invitation that we find in this passage from king david in the worst moment of his life he says we must confide in god we must confide in him read with me verses three and four it says but you O lord are a shield about me my glory and the lifter of my head i cried aloud to the lord and he answered me from his holy hill David explains to us the importance of understanding that all we need to do to stand with confidence within or inside of my storm and my crisis is to confide in God. David entrusted God his crisis. He gave over his crisis to God. He transferred his weight, his his trouble from his own life to God. David here was not informing God, he was laying his burdens upon his shoulders. I love this because in verse 1 and 2, we find that David is complaining about everything that was occurring in his life, how his own son wanted to destroy him and how people said there was no salvation. But then in verse 3, there's a shift because he says, but you, O Lord, you are the only one that can provide what I need. And many of us live life believing that we have the power to change our circumstances. And dear friend, we don't, we don't. Only God has that strength, only God has that power. That's why he's asking us to confide in him. Last week, we had some family over um, celebrating with us the graduation of our daughter, Emily. And so we had a small reception with our uh, family and other friends But I asked my brother Steve to share the word, and so he shared the word that day, but he also shared an interesting illustration. They've got a son, his name's Isaiah, he's two years old. And so one day they were going to put Isaiah in his crib so he can take his nap. And so my brother Steve placed Isaiah in his crib and left the room. About five, ten minutes later, they heard a scream and a yell. And Isaiah was crying, and so Steve ran to the room. And realized that Isaiah had stuck his arm uh, in the middle of two bars of his crib. And he couldn't be freed because his fists were closed. And so he was trying to, to get that arm out and he couldn't. So Steve looked at his son Isaiah, the teaching moment, right? And he says, Isaiah, just open your fist. Just open your hand. Because when you open your hand, you'll be able to move your arm and you'll be freed. Isaiah looked at his dad and he says, nope, dad, I don't want to. And kept crying. And so Steve uh, forcibly opened his hands, Isaiah's hand. And all of a sudden a cookie dropped to the floor. (laughs) Oh, Isaiah wanted that cookie. He loved that cookie so much that he didn't want to open his hand. He didn't want to be freed. That illustration speaks a lot about our own life in relation to God. We too desire to keep our fists this way. Not letting go what you know God wants you to let go. Many of us are like people who love to suffer. And so we keep our storm and crisis in our own hands. Others of us keep our sin. And we continue to play with that sin that we know we need to stop and allow God to help us stop. Others keep a a relationship that they know that does not honor God. And instead of living a life that is full of freedom and liberty, we continue to live with our fists closed. David gave everything to God. He entrusted God because God is the only one to be trusted. He confided in God and he tells us why in these two verses. He says, because God is my shield. This is a battlefield language And, and David here speaks about the importance of God's protection. Because of the cunning and ruthless enemies wanting to destroy him, he knew only God could provide the protection that he needed. So he said, I give it all to you, God. You are the only one that can protect me through this storm. And I love the Psalms because through the Psalms, we see King David over and over again, speak about God's protection. He says in Psalm 18:2, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. He says in Psalm twenty-eight, seven: "The Lord is my strength and my shield; in Him my heart trusts, and I am helped." See, David confided in God because God was his shield. My question for you this morning is: God, your shield? Is He your protection? But David also says, "I have confided in God; I have entrusted God in my situation and my crisis because He is my glory." The one who honors and vindicates me. This is the same glory that Moses asked God in Exodus chapter 33. In Exodus chapter 32, we find the people of Israel uh, making and creating an idol, a golden calf. The nation of Israel desired the glory of that superficial idol that could not provide the glory that they wanted and desired, and God's wrath came upon them. God had told them not to create idols before them, and they didn't listen. And so we see Moses going before the presence of God as a mediator. And he's asking for God to redeem his people, to forgive their sins. And then he says, God, we need your presence. We cannot go forward. We cannot take another step if your presence does not come with us, if your glory does not come with us. So as we talk about God's glory, what we're talking about is God's presence in us and through us. And today, as believers, we have this awesome privilege of understanding that through Christ, God's presence resides in us. The Bible says that through repentance and faith in Christ, God's spirit comes to reside in us. Do you understand the profound truth of that? Do you understand that it's the glory and the presence of God that we should seek It should be our objective. It should be the center of our lives. It's God's glory. And this is what David speaks about. Understanding that no matter what happens in our lives, God is still alive. And because God is still alive, his glory will shine through. And that's why I must pray and I must ask God, God, give me your presence. Because I belong to you. Now, if you don't have this relationship with God... I implore you this morning, either if you're here present in the worship center or watching online, I ask you to come to Christ. I ask you just to think about what Christ did for you. He gave his life. He bore your sin. He he died the death that you deserved. The death that I deserved. He was buried and then rose again. And he's the only one that can give you the glory that your soul needs. That's why I love what Paul says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 14. Be far be it for me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. The cross of Christ. It's Christ himself that I should desire and that I should understand that I need. David says, I confide in, in, in God not only because he's my shield or my glory, he says, because he is the lifter of my head. This phrase and the lifter is the only time it's mentioned in the Bible. David understood that God was the restorer of his joy And he says, even though I'm in in a very difficult scenario, even though I am full of depression and, and sadness to see everything that is occurring, God, you are the only one that can lift my head so I can see everything that you have in store for me. Many of you this morning maybe came to this place or are watching online and your heads are bowed. I want to tell you this morning that God is the one who can lift that head. God is the one that can raise you to a point where you understand that he wants to use that difficulty in your life so the world may know that there's no other option but him. Just this past week, I had a young man come into my office, 28 years old. He's part of our congregation. And he said, David, I'm I'm struggling because God is speaking to my heart. This young man has gone through three open heart surgeries, three. He's only 28 years old. And he says, David, but I've lived an isolated life. I've closed myself in. I I don't share with anybody about what I've gone through. But God has been touching my heart. He's been moving me to understand that people need to be blessed by seeing God's hand in my life. David, I am alive before you this morning simply because of the grace of God. And I looked at him and I said, yes, that's what you're called to do. You're not called to hide your storm. You're not called to hide your crisis. You're you're called to exalt God through it. But he is the only one that will lift your head. He is the only one that will give you the strength to do it because we have no willingness to do it. But in God, he restores our joy. And that's why I can smile in the middle of my difficulty. I can smile in the middle of my storm because he is... The only one that I can confide in. But then David finishes in verse four and he says, I confide in God because he answers my prayer. God is a God who answers prayer. And David says, he answers prayer from the holy hill. David is referring to the city of Jerusalem. Now it's interesting, Absalom was on the throne supposedly, but David knew that Absalom was not the king of Jerusalem. The king of the nation of Israel, or the king of the world. No, no, no. God would always be the king. God is sitting on his throne, and he sits on his throne forever. So it doesn't matter how the answer God provides looks like. It may not look like what you expected, but, church, God responds. And that's why we come to him and we pray. We pray knowing and understanding that God is king. And because God is king, we rest and confide in him. But lastly, we find the third invitation by David. The third invitation that he gives us so we can stand with confidence in our crisis. We read it in verse 5 to verse 8. He says, I lay down and slept I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Verse 8, salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. The third invitation David gives us this morning, so we may stand with confidence in our crisis, is to understand and know that it's God's cause and not mine it's his cause and not mine you see David says it's God's cause because he fights for his people I love verse 5 because it says here I lay down and slept how in the world knowing that there are thousands of people looking for you ready to cut your head off how in the world can you sleep (laughs) oh when you understand that it's God's cause and not yours David slept. It's interesting that this psalm is known as the morning psalm. We have an idea that David wrote this psalm early in the morning after he had a great night's sleep. Question this morning, can you sleep being in the middle of a crisis? Do you get a good night's sleep every night? The invitation from David is that we should. There should not be anything that brings so much anxiety in our lives that that crisis or situation take away the sleep that God gives us. You see, David faced this incredible dilemma. But he lay down to sleep and then he woke again saying, the Lord sustains me. Have you ever thought about this reality of what happens when we sleep? Even when we sleep, we're sustained by God. You see, we're in conscience dead to the world and still our lungs and organs are active. We continue to breathe. The question is, who makes this happen? God does. This is why David could say, I will not be afraid of many thousands of people. It doesn't matter who's pursuing me or or who's who's persecuting me. The the important thing is to understand that God sustains me. Because God sustains me, He fights for me. So it does not matter the size of your crisis or the circumstance you might be confronting this morning. The importance is to understand the size of your God. and Because God fights for us, we always have hope. But David continues and he says, I understand and know that it's God's cause and not mine, because salvation belongs to him. He says, arise, this is a military phrase that was used before the camp of the people of Israel, asking God to defend and to lead them to victory. Moses uses this same phrase in Numbers chapter 10, where he asks God to arise and let their enemies be scattered, and let those who hate you flee before you. Salvation belongs to God. And David could say, God, you break the teeth of the wicked. This is the picture of a beast, a a dog or, or a lion or a bear that bite with their gums only. Can you imagine a beast with no teeth being useful to bring any harm? The picture, the metaphor is to comprehend that no matter who comes before you, what situation comes to your life, no enemy is greater than our God. And because salvation belongs to him, God will provide the salvation that I need. I can do nothing to save myself from my enemies. I can do nothing to save myself from situations or circumstances that cause my downfall, physically or spiritually. God is my only solution. And so you might be going through an illness this morning. You might be going through a situation physically. Dear church, I I beg you to go to God. Understand that it's his cause and not yours. He will bring salvation because he is a God of salvation. He is the owner of salvation, but also spiritually. And there might be parents in the room suffering because they see their children away from the Lord living dark days because their children want nothing to do with Christ want nothing to do with God. I don't think if I don't think there's anything worse that can bring more pain than seeing your child not want anything God desires to offer them. Remember, salvation belongs to him. And that's why as a parent, I'm faithful when preaching the gospel, extending the invitation from God, telling them that God is a God of compassion and that he cares for them. He cared for them so much that he sent his son to die for them. That's why the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8, verses 31 and 32 said these words, if God is for us, who will be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things. But then David finishes and he says, I know the cause is God's. And that's why God, I ask you to bless your people. David here, instead of focusing on his own calamity, he focused on the people of God. He focused on the needs the people of God needed to receive from God Now, can you imagine the confusion that was happening? Absalom saying and telling everyone that he was the king. He was the one worthy to be recognized or praised. And on the other end was David, his dad. The man that God anointed as king. Can you imagine the confusion? And David with a shepherd's heart knew that what the nation of Israel needed was God's blessing over them during this time of crisis, national crisis, what the people of God needed were were His blessings. Now, as we think about everything that we've gone through this past year and a half with the COVID-19 pandemic, all of us have gone through difficult situations. As a community, we've seen people pass away. As a community, we've seen people lose their jobs. As a county, we've seen families suffer. We've seen people from our city from the state, from our nation, but as we begin to compare with other countries in the world, truly other nations around the world are still suffering heavily. For example, the country of Honduras. Honduras is where our mission team is going to go and serve in a couple weeks. Honduras not only is going through still the COVID-19 pandemic, where there are no hospitals where people can go to, to get treatment. There are no vaccines for people to take. But also last year, they received two category five hurricanes that just destroyed the nation. And so the Lord Jesus Christ told us that as disciples of Christ, we're called to love God with all of our being, but also to love our neighbors as ourselves. So even though I'm going through a crisis, if I begin to to look at the needs of others, ah, God's light shines through. And so this morning I've asked Samuel to come and share with us a little bit the devastation that has occurred through everything that they have gone through. Samuel and Xiomara are a family. He's the the director of World of Life in Honduras. Uh, They're a family that we support here at West Cabarrus Church. And I've asked him to share a little bit. Samuel, share with us. The devastation of the hurricane but also COVID-19 but also share with us how you have focused and how you have focused your staff of 26 missionaries to think about others during their crisis
1: yes well thank you good morning church it's good to be here with you guys uh well we we went to different difficult times as we were facing a pandemic over there in in the country of Honduras uh, and still, you know, this days has been so hard. we uh, were locked down all the way from uh, basically from March all the way to November. You're only allowed to go out uh, to buy groceries, go to the bank every 14 days, whatever you need to do. Um, and uh, every time you go to a place, you got only like 20 minutes to get, get, get what you need and then go out. And, uh, and basically, you know, it was hard days. Uh, economically, all the country were, you know, facing difficult times. But uh, it was a time not to focus in our life, but as well it was a time to focus uh, to, to other people, to serve others. We felt like, uh, you know, like Nehemiah. Mm-hmm. It was a time of, of lifting up a, a sword. But, but as well on the other hand, putting on brakes, you know. It was a time of sharing the word. But as well trying to cover the needs of, of people around you. Uh, we were able to, to provide food, water, clothes, mattresses. Uh, In different locations and and as you are seeing, you know, some of the photos uh, over here on the screen, you know, it was a time of of suffering for many of those who had not only lost their jobs, but as well, everything they had, you know, because of all the the flood that they had experienced, uh, you know, it was just so hard. And by the grace of God, we're helping basically six different locations as well some other churches clean their, 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 their church and be able to provide as well as much as we can yeah they
0: shared you saw some pictures of a church that they went to clean the mud the mud had almost reached the roof correct Uh, because of the hurricane and they cleaned the church but a week later that church because of the second hurricane got flooded again Uh, so they had to go back and help them clean that uh, that church as well Uh, tell us what is the greatest need that you guys have as a, as a ministry?
1: Well, pray and uh, pray specifically for support for missionaries. Um, as we are still having that economic crisis, uh, in the country, and especially in the ministry, just pray specifically for that.
0: Great. Can we give Samuel a round of applause this morning? Thank you, Samuel. So the invitation of David is simple. We need to complain to God and only God. Secondly, we, com- we must confide in Him. And then thirdly, it's His cause and not mine. And as we go through storms and difficulties, may we ask God to bless us.